The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. A deedy can't make it because of work. Do you think she sent Dad the same text? Everything all right, only I noticed you're 17 minutes behind schedule. Oh, what else can go wrong? It's all Princess Diana's fault. Oh, we are all still grieving for the Queen of Hearts, but we have to soldier on. It's what we'll call my sister. Uh, she's, uh, she's very close to her father. Welcome to episode 70 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catcher podcast that wasn't invited to Ed's party, but that's fine. I'm busy anyway. I've got hair to thread and eyebrows to shave. I'm Gavin. And I'm freshly coiffed. Ooh. Okay. I had a haircut today. Oh, and well, had congratulations. My, and I had my eyebrows done. That's what I was referring to in my hilarious intro. <laughs> you didn't get your eyebrows did. Oh, you're, you're taking it literally. Okay. It's going to be a well, long I, night. I, I literally had my eyebrows done today. I didn't have them threaded, though. Just waxed. And plucked. Oh. And shaped. Beautifully. Yeah, they're weird. Definitely weird. <laughs> Episode 70. Hoot, hoot. That's a number so big, I'm not sure I can remember the French for it. <laughs> I can't believe Dragon Svansvik? No, it's German. I, I can't believe we let episode sixty-nine go without being very childish about the number. Were you not here last week? What? You really? We spoke in French last week. Uh huh. To say "swasn't neuf," which is ho ho ho. Right. Yeah, but. Aren't we stereotyping the French by insinuating that everything they do is sexy? Well, apparently not that anyone would notice. <laughs> Still not anyone that's involved in this podcast. I'm sorry, I don't find the French sexy. <laughs> Scottish. Or their numbers, apparently. <laughs> How was your week? Busy. No, oh, tell me about it. Yeah. My poor Broomie. You're, you're a genius. And oh. people take advantage of that. Hmm. <laughs> That was a long week, although I'm a genius, s- yeah. so- somewhat pleased to have more sympathy on this podcast than I got on Spongebob Squarecast <laughs> yesterday, where Stella gave not one fuck. Did you listen to that? Yes, I did. Yeah, she it was great. She couldn't have cared less. <laughs> She's oh, 10 going it's on It's fine to talk about Peter Pan for five minutes, <laughs> but lest I talk about my life for, for 15 seconds. Well, you know, it's like we went to the salon today, you know, and I can barely get two words out of her. But she gets in that seat and Harmony starts working on her hair and stuff. And all of a sudden she's chatty Kathy, telling her all about her life. Yeah, that's just 
It's just kids. It's kids and people as well. It's like you, you spend so much time with people, you have <laughs> less to say than to people that you hardly ever see, I guess. Because yeah. you're just like, oh, I just can't be bothered. So I guess that was where she was coming from. Yeah. My week was shit. My week was, as I said, on the Spongebob podcast, was like, uh, do not jigsaw without the picture and halfway through someone turned the lights off. So Yes. But I did it. You did. I made the jigsaw. I made the jigsaw. I'm not sure it's right, but it's complete. Correct. I might have had to jam some pieces in there. Cut a few pieces. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't that happen on Midsummer Murders once where the crazy lady who ended up being the murderer like (laughs) was cutting pieces off of jigsaw pieces to make them fit? Yeah. My uh, theoretical jigsaw looks less like a Campbell's tomato soup tin and more like a murdered sheep (laughs) (laughs) lovely there we go (laughs) so what was up with your week well i became a chairperson of yet another subcommittee yeah you're just collecting these (laughs) (laughs) you're getting extra points for this there's no more there's only the two that i belong to so far so oh but and i forgot to tell you this I'm also teaching Sunday school once a month now, starting this Saturday, or this Sunday. I'm teaching preschool, Sunday school. So when does that start? Sunday. At what time? During the church service, you know, when they tell the kids to skedaddle. I will also be skedaddling and you'll be sitting in a pew alone. That time that we're rarely there. Yeah, well, we'll be there this week because I have to be there. This coincides with your Poetry in the Park, though. Poetry in the Park starts at 2 o'clock. We have church. And remember, church starts early this week because of the... Yeah, um probably need to stay more <laughs> Because of the block party. So we only have the one service this week. Which, I don't know if we have Sunday school this week, although it's on the schedule. I don't know. Anyway. So, church... Yeah, let's talk about the church schedule a little bit more. Block party, where I will be serving the cotton candy, like last year, until 1 o'clock. And then 1 o'clock, I leave the block party. I go wash the excess cotton candy from my hands and face. You know, Why is it on your face? Because it's... Because you're eating it. No, because it flies Because your face is stuck inside this machine. <laughs> because it fl- it's so messy it flies everywhere the sponge sugar you know when you're bending over to spin the cone around the basin it just it flies everywhere and gets in everything it gets in your hair it's on your face it gets in your clothes it gets in your hands i'm not sure i'm drawing any correlation between this and anything else but we continue <laughs> so i'll i'll rinse the excess cotton candy off change into something a little bit more we're rustic. still talking about cotton candy here right well not anymore because i'm washing it all okay right. changing into something slightly more rustic and then i'm emceeing the first poetry in the park at oakridge park where uh the current and former lansing poet laureates will be featured and then we'll have poetry and music open mic afterwards until four o'clock and then i get to come home and drop to my bed no you don't 
I know. And then I get to come home and then record another podcast. Record another podcast. And then drop to my bed. Yeah. And tomorrow I'm going to Comic Con, the Capital City Comic Con, because we're taking the Girl Scouts up there to earn their comic artist badge. Yeah, I'll probably come along to the porch thing, but I ain't doing the block party stuff. Well, no, but you're baking scones for it tomorrow, yes? Oh, probably not. I don't have time. Oh, remember I asked you like a month ago if you'd Yeah, and I, I just don't have time and I can't make time because I have a yard to, to mow and I have a Benny to take to soccer. Ugh, fine. So you have to make do without the 12 scones that they've been able to make. I suppose I could make them tomorrow after, tomorrow before they... Oh gosh, we have the game dinner too. Yeah, we don't have time for this. This is just... I'll be up until like one o'clock in the morning baking scones. That's all right. That's all right. It's fine. Shall anyway, we, shall we? <laughs> this, preamble, is, my dear. this is probably the most boring pre-preamble. <laughs> Are you still with us? Hello. Is, is anyone still there? Hello. Run for your lives. Hello. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Calling news. Shelley King, who plays... This is written on a napkin. I'm just... I'm not judging, I'm just saying. You didn't have to tell people that. Yes, I did. I was upstairs. I didn't have a notebook with me. We were running low on time. I needed to get it done. This is what I had. Don't judge. I've... Beautiful works of poetry... And the beginnings of I'm the great American beautiful novel news here. Have been written it. on cocktail Go. napkins. Anyway, Shelley King, who plays our Yasmin, yes, she does, was just on uh, the Celebrity Chase special. Oh, was she? She and a number of her core co-stars, where she got a little flirty with uh, with uh, Bradley Walsh. Apparently, you <laughs> well, go, he girl. used to be on Corey as well. <laughs> he was Danny. Of course, he was. He owned uh, or he ran the uh, knicker factory. He was the head of the knicker people <laughs> for a while. So everybody has run the knicker factory. So who else was on once. it? Um, Kim Marsh, Jack P. Shepard, and Daniel Brocklebank. So how did they get on? I love the chase. The chase is a fucking brilliant program. Chase is, my mother loves the chase. Well. We, she doesn't she get. Loves, she doesn't experience the right chase. That's yeah, an American chase. Yeah, she loves the American chase. Mm. Although it's which it's, always has the beast. The beast. The beast. The beast is on it, and that's great. My mother. My mother loves the game show network. <laughs> when she arrives, uh, when she brings the kids back, or whenever she just pops in for a visit or whatever, she commandeers the TV and just watches Game Show Network and Fox News, and that's it. Well, she has, she doesn't watch Fox News. Not in this house. Yes, yeah, she does. No, she does. Oh, she does. Not when I'm home. Not when you're in the living room, she doesn't. Not, but but when, when you're gone from the living room, she absolutely watches Fox yeah, News. Because I could hear it. This last time she was oh, binge watching... I, I must have been imagining it then. The last time she was here, she was binge watching Midsummer Murders. She loves time. Midsummer Murders. <laughs> My mum loved Midsummer Murders as well. It's a great show. It's this tiny little hamlet, I think, just in the middle of England where all the murders in the world happen. It's like it's New York City in the 70s. Right, yeah. It's like what Shetland is now. Right. Where all the murders happen. And then and a collection of islands where 
where nothing happens. 20,000 people in. Right. <laughs> if that. So how did they go on? It hasn't aired yet. Oh, it hasn't, okay. It's airing this week. So how do we know that she flirted with him? Well, because I, I watched I watched the clip of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oasis frontman Liam Gallagher has expressed an interest in co-starring on Corey. No. I'm guest starring I'm, on Corey. I'm vetoing that right now. <laughs> Although he admits he might be shit at acting. I think the jury is in on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not... He just had a new album come out. A solo album. Nobody is interested. <clears throat> the Oasis thing kind of ran its course, didn't it? I think so. After three albums. And Noel. So, I always preferred Noel anyway. Yeah. Noel was the older one, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah, the slightly more mature one. The one that wrote all the songs. Right, know. yeah. And had or basically, all the talent. Or basically just rewrote Beatles songs. Yeah, Pretty much. Sprinkle the little little stones in there every once in a while, but mostly just Beatles, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is that Corey News? No, it's always three oh, items. Does, right, there's a the back Corey. end of the napkin. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> and finally, former Corey star Bruce Jones, who played Les Battersby, will be playing the villain in a panto production of Aladdin this Christmas. And that's Corey News. Now I'm going to wipe my face now. <laughs> yeah, be careful you don't get any... Ink on my face. Getting smashing Corey News on your face. <laughs> your mailbag. Is it mailbag now? Yeah, mailbag now. John wrote in on the Facebook to say, I don't really know why there was such a hoo-ha about Kate's low-key exit. We, the viewers, know that she was leaving Corey, but as far as the street residents know, she's off to Southeast Asia and Japan for a few months, so why would there be a big fanfare? Current and upcoming storylines are so depressing, we need more of Gary and his comedy gangster antics, he says. I don't find Gary funny. No, nor do I. But um, and I mean, I think, I think he's right in, in terms of the Kate thing. Yeah, although she was always a character that was defined by the relationships that she was in. Right. So when she didn't have a relationship, she became insignificant. And so, if anything, the low key exit was kind of in keeping with where her character was at. Although there are many, many people who will disagree with that. Assertion. Absolutely, and you know. It it wouldn't it wouldn't have hurt to do a little, you know, fan service, so to speak. To after everybody says cheerio and goes back to their lives, to see her go out and get in the taxi, and with this hopeful look on her face, right? Because no because no one said cheerio. No, they didn't really, did they? No, nobody. They just to Kate said I, said four people. Right. I mean, her dad didn't even give her a hug goodbye. Oh, no, he did. Well, he gave her a hug, but not, not a hug goodbye. Really. Yeah, it's kind of like half-assed. I'm now very concerned that I can't do a Johnny impression anymore. <laughs> Please don't try. <laughs> Which brings me on to... Is it going to be Rambo this week? <laughs> Which brings me on to Chrissy's email, <laughs> where he says, Another corking episode, folks. Aw. Thank you, Chris. He said, I had to pull in over to the side of the road until the fictitious laughter at Gav's unchar- uncharacteristically way off the mark Dev impression subsided. That's how bad my John impression was that Chris thought it was Dev that I was trying to do. Well, sometimes sometimes your Dev and your John. No, 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 no. They're very, very different. Get, get but he says, cooler. less I crash and burn. And then he poses a joke, what do you get if you cross Prince Philip and Prince Charles? And we're not going to answer that. <laughs> So Johnny is 
Who eats chili con carne without rice? That's Johnny. Lasagna. Lasagna. Yes, they're very, very different things. (laughs) Very different. (laughs) Markedly different. Are you going to tell me the answer of what you get when you cross Prince Charles and Prince Philip later? Apropos of nothing, a Princess Diana joke. Right. Apropos of nothing. Too soon? Yes. Hindsight corner. Snow Patrol albums. Final Straw was their third release, Uh and that's what features the song Run. Right. It has a kind of burnt orange colour to it and a stencil of two figures walking towards the, inverted commas, camera. Mm-hmm. Their fourth album, Eyes Open, is the one with Chasing Cars on it. And it also has their rather sublime Set the Fire to the Third Bar, which they recorded with Martha Wainwright. Yes, of the famous Wainwrights. It was a kind of abstract painting of people hugging. So I'm not sure any other album covers features an astronaut. Hold on. I will tell you which one it is. Right now. Live. Can I continue with the hindsight corner where you're doing that? In action. Diazepam in the US is more commonly known as Valium. Wildness is the one with the astronaut and with ravens behind the astronaut. See? Oh, well, that's, that's definitely not the album that we're talking about then. No, but this is the album that's my favorite. It's Wildness. No, which features neither of the songs that we were talking about last week then. Correct. Okay. What are you drinking? Cranberry juice. What are you drinking? Can we just drop the what you're drinking thing? I think people like it. I, I've had no correspondence to confirm that. If you like the what you're drinking part of Coronation Street, please write in. Not Coronation Street, because I don't know what you're drinking part <laughs> of Coronation Street. Street. Yes, we're on Coronation Street right now. We record this podcast in the back of the rovers. There's so many parts of my notes this week (laughs) that's just people asking each other what they're drinking. (laughs) What are you drinking? I have a Werner's, a Diet Werner's this time, and a Bush NA. Yum, yum. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. This was a difficult week to write out. Right, because everything tied together. Yeah, there's like, there's three storylines that are... One leads into the other, and the other leads into the other, and the other leads back to the other one. So so I've I've tried to kind of keep them more or less separate until Friday, and then just mush them all together for Friday. That sounds good. Okay. So. Did you like this week? Uh, not as much as I liked last week. Really? I thought, I thought there was good bits in it. I thought this week worked a little bit better, that I... That the problem that you're having, I think it works really well, having the stories kind of weave in and out of one another and not being so separate. Right. I enjoy that better. Yeah, it makes my life much, much more difficult. Yeah, but it makes for better viewing and better writing, I think. Because you you don't, because when all the storylines tie together, then you don't have these long soliloquies. And long dialogues between two characters where nobody else shows up yeah. to break it up. Yeah, that was, was our complaint of last week. That was certainly absent. And I think the... And I guess we'll get to this, but... I was incredibly impressed with Beth this week. 
Oh God, yes. And uh, particularly tonight's episode. Oh God, yes. She was very, very good. Oh, she kinda, broke my heart. I think she kind of stole the week. I think so too. Yeah. So from that point of view, yeah, maybe uh, I don't know. It just made it difficult to to separate and and structure. Yes. A week, but that's. Right. That's the least of Corey's problems as absolutely as the problems they pose to me when right. I'm trying to write notes. So, so let's jump in then. On yes, uh, Monday's Paul's secret, the first storyline tonight. Billy's leaving the house just as Paul wanders by. Billy's off to visit one of his parishioners, and Billy admits that he misses Paul. And Paul's pleased Aww. to see Billy, but they're both kind of sad as they part. Yeah, and Paul's a wee bit more standoffish than Billy is. It took me a little while to remember what happened and why they split up. Yeah. Because Billy... Interfered in something. Interfered with uh, the guy who beat up somebody for Paul. Sean. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like we won the game. I'm curious. (laughs) And I become more curious this week as to what the point of Sean is. Oh, poor Sean. Sorry, Sean. But that character has just ran its course, I think. Oh, There's nothing that's happening there that anybody else couldn't do, I don't think. Well, maybe maybe that will change. Oh, let's make him homeless again. Okay. Oh, stop. <laughs> Poor Carol. Paul, <laughs> right, Gemma and Chesney are at Roy's Rolls and they fill in Paul with what's been going on with Bernie. Gemma again tries to give her mum the benefit of the doubt, saying that she was selling the Wii to help the quads, but Chess points out that they haven't seen any of this money yet. Gemma also explains that Kel is back in the scene and Paul is visibly uncomfortable about this. What a blast from the past, says Gemma. But not like that. But maybe like that. No, yeah, just not for Gemma. No. Gemma gets a text from Bernie later asking for a sausage sandwich, but not like that. And she waddles off to deal with it. Gemma's waddling is quite amusing. Do you think think Bernie takes it with bread sauce or brown sauce? There is no answer to that. That I think is going to make anyone happy. <laughs> so I'm going to say no sauce at all. <laughs> Paul quietly advises Chesney to get short of Bernie, especially as Kel is back in the scene. They bring the worst out of each other, Paul says. It's a car crash and he promises to think of a way to get rid of them. Back home and Bernie is on the phone having sexy talk with Kel. Gross. There's a knock at the door and Ches is keen for Bernie to answer it, which she eventually does. It's a weird-looking guy who knows that Bernie has been selling fake pregnancy tests and thanks to her, he's spent the last couple of days thinking that he's knocked some tar up. He takes photos of Bernie and tells her that he's off to see what the police have to say about this. That's it for Chesney and he tells Bernie to sling her hook and Gemma is forced to agree. From Chesney's reaction, though, we get the idea that this seems to be Paul's handiwork. Do we? Yeah. We, we we get the impression that Chesney's not comfortable with this. No, I, I got the impression from his expression that he was very happy with how that, that worked out. He just had a quick kind of look round about him. Uh. Unfortunately, the pregnancy guy decides to go for a kebab. Because of course he does. Yeah, of course. And he doesn't realise that Gemma's getting changed to the back and decides to talk very loudly about his evil machinations loudly on the phone for Gemma to hear. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are you up to? demands Gemma when she comes out. Convenient. Yeah. In the Rovers, Billy asks Paul how the mother situation is doing and Paul is confident that she'll be on her way. In comes Gemma and Bernie, shouting the odds and telling Paul that he sunk to a new low. And then Kel comes in. 
Hello, Polly, says, long time no see. And Paul looks like he wants the earth to swallow him up. Poor Paul. In the ensuing argument, it comes out that Chesney was sort of in on this. Gemma accuses him of wanting rid of Bernie, which Chesney happily admits to. That was, that was pretty funny. That happens a couple of times. Where Gemma says, well, you don't even want Bernie here. And Chesney goes, yeah, no. It's like, this is no secret. No shit. <laughs> exactly. Nobody does. <laughs> Bernie announces that she and Kel are thinking of giving it another go. And the only reason they split in the first place was down to Paul. And Paul tells Gemma that she doesn't have a clue what she's talking about. And that's absolutely correct. Yeah. But Paul does not want to tell anybody why they're incorrect. No, because it's not... so frustrating. It's not But schedule- I can understand. Yeah, it's not scheduled to happen until next week, probably. <laughs> and also, especially for a man, I would imagine that is a difficult topic to broach. And you don't, and you don't want people to know that that sort of thing has happened to you. I think it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Kel approaches Paul at the back of the rovers. He wants to be mates, but Paul visibly shrinks from Kel, which Billy sees because he's kind of lingering about because Billy is Paul's shadow for the entirety of this week. And my That wasn't an invitation to sing. (laughs) Kel says that he's put the past... never is. Kel says that he's put the past behind him. But not like that. And Paul should do the same. But not like that. Not that there was anything special, he says. But not like that. Then inside in the rovers, Billy asks if Paul's okay and asks about the relationship with Kel. Paul says it was fine at the start, and before Billy can quiz him further, Paul rushes off saying he has to get back to work. And back home, Bernie thinks Chutney owes her an apology. (laughs) She's still calling him Chutney? Yes, which Chesney reluctantly gives. He leaves when Kel comes in. He tried to talk to Paul, but he was about as welcome as a fart in a spacesuit, he says. Kel claims to really care about Paul, and he leaves before Bernie can make a brew, which leads Bernie to think that she won't be seeing him again. All thanks to Paul. Aww. This Kel's really pulled the wool over everyone's eyes, hasn't he? That's typically how it happens. Yeah. Then Bernie spots Paul sitting in the works van and gives him a hard time about his treatment of Kel, who was really cut up and probably won't be back, and Paul reckons that he did Bernie a favour. She basically calls him a scumbag and then leaves him to his thoughts. And at the kebab shop later, mediator Cathy manages to get Chesney to promise to give Bernie another try, although he admits to hating her. In comes Billy, who is concerned that Paul was very upset around Kel, and Gemma says that they used to be best mates, and then something happened and everything changed, and Paul started making everyone's life hell. And Billy meets up with Paul in the community garden. Paul needs Billy to stay away, but Billy refuses because he cares about him. He tells Paul that he spoke to Gemma and asks what changed. Where did the happy Paul that Gemma knew go? What did Kel do to him? Paul insists that nothing happened. Paul was too much of a hard man to let anything happen. He could take care of himself. And Billy says that Paul was just a child and nothing was his fault. And Paul tells Billy to mind his own fucking business and keep his nose out of his and Gemma's affairs. Yikes. That was... Okay. <laughs> what, what more do you expect from me? That was... I... I it's a difficult storyline. It is a difficult storyline, but I'm glad that Paul's been given something interesting to work with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I really like the actor. I really like the acting. I think he's very good. Yep. And, yes, he's still my favourite gay. <laughs> that doesn't change. Well, on Wednesday... James is a close... Oh. Easy. Mm. On Wednesday, in Roy's roles, Paul comes in and is instantly pounced on by Billy. 
Billy wants to talk. But not like that. We can't keep on doing that. <laughs> Billy wants oh, to talk, fine. but Paul wants him to keep his nose out of his business and he rushes off. Billy tells Sean that he thinks Paul is vulner- vul- vulnerable. Can you say vulnerable? I don't, I don't know. Billy tells Sean that he thinks Paul is vulnerable, which Sean thinks is an odd thing to say. Then, at the knicker factory slash community centre, Paul, Sean and Izzy are busy packing knickers. As he notices that Paul's in a funny mood, Sean asks if he's okay because Billy was worried about him, and this sets Paul off and he kicks some boxes and he storms out. In Roy's roles, Sean explains to Billy what went down with Paul, and Billy is furious that Sean was so obvious to tell Paul that he was worried, and Sean doesn't appear to give two shits one way or the other, and leaves with an extra flouncy flounce. Right. This, and, is, this I mean, is why Sean can GTF, basically. To be fair... This is the second time in about three weeks that Sean's just fucked somebody else up. To be, well, to be fair, all he said was, this, guy, this person's worried about you. He doesn't say, oh, he's worried about you because he thinks you've been molested by your stepdad. No, but all I had to do was say, what's up, Paul? You okay? Didn't you say anything about, about anybody Billy, being worried yeah, about him? I guess, yeah. Sean's not very good at that sort of thing, though. Sean is very socially inept. What is Sean good at? <laughs> Messing things up. He's very good he's, at flouncing off. He's he's good at pouring a brew. Do we ever see any evidence of that? He, he pulls, pulls quite a few brews there behind the rivers. Hmm. Yeah, he's good at that. Even though in real life he doesn't drink beer. So nothing that requires him to... Not everybody can do that. I know lots of people who can't pull a pint. They leave far too much head in it. And that's what she said. (laughs) Funnily enough, he didn't say that. Paul's knocking them back in the rovers and Jenny cuts him off. Billy, who always seems to be Paul's shadow these days. uh, Oh, that sentence is incomplete. Billy still reckons that something happened between Paul and Kel, and despite Paul's aggressive reaction, he invites Paul to go around to his later to explain. And Billy then goes off to visit a reasonably tanned David in jail. Cracking open those tanned beds in jail again. (laughs) (laughs) And a little half ping pong balls over the eyes. (laughs) Billy asks to speak about Josh, is that okay? He sees some similarities between David's reaction and this other friend of his, but he keeps saying the wrong thing and his friend refuses to talk about it. David says the guy is in denial. He won't admit to himself what happened, never mind talking to Billy, and there's nothing much Billy can do to speed this along. So, GTF Billy. So later, Billy sees Paul outside the kebab shop and apologises for pushing him too hard and too quick. And his door is always open. Rather than be happy about this, Paul accuses Billy of not caring anymore well, fuck you very much, she says, and Billy is left thinking, what the actual? <laughs> yeah. Then on Friday, what are you doing? Just picking something up. Keep going. What is this? <laughs> this what is it? It's, it's, it's an, it's the case for an allergy pill, but I don't recognise, okay, just keep going. Is somebody making meth in this house? Yes, Dobby. Dobby's a meth head. I didn't want to have to tell you to you like this, my darling. He has no thumbs. I'm thinking you. You're breaking bad, my darling. Sweetie Cat is helping him. <laughs> Sweetie Cat is his uh, is his Jesse. Actually, Dobby would be Jesse. Dum Dum would be. Uh... <laughs> Dum Dum's name is actually Cookie. Yeah. Yeah, Cookie would be uh, 
the um what's his name the, uh, ferret. the cop no ferret weasel weasel yes oh yes cookie would absolutely be weasel fatty boom boom would be the big would be the cop no the big uh enforcer <laughs> the um what's his face Saul goodman's right hand man the, the what was his name oh gosh you watch better call Saul. you should know this oh i know who you're talking about though the big fat guy would be fatty boom boom he's not he's not that fat well he's not anymore he was when he was in breaking bad yeah. black and white just just Jack, black and white would be the cop oh quick that works right so he'd be a hank yeah. Okay, so thank you. We have now assigned all our pets as to characters within the Breaking Bad slash <laughs> Better Call Saul universe. Shall we get back to Corey now? Which one would be? We 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 don't have a Saul though. That's we're not getting more pets just to just to complete the set. <laughs> we'll just have to make do with the five that we've got. Oh, fine. On Friday. Bernie and Kel are in Roy's roles and they're all loved up. Bernie thinks it might be an idea for Kel to stay out of Paul's way. Book. And he agrees and says fine, but instead, as soon as they step out onto the street, Paul's already there wondering what they're doing back. And there was a conversation there that I kind of missed. And it looks like you missed it as well. Paul turns up in the <sighs> Paul turns up at the kebab shop calling Chesney a wimp for not chucking Bernie out. And Chesney has had enough and goes to chuck him out which Gemma turns up to see, but Paul leaves of his own accord. And later, Gemma and Paul are having a slanging match in front of the street. What the fuck is up with them, says Gemma. And then he casts up Gemma taking Benny's side in the past and then storms off and Gemma's left to wonder what on earth is going on. Yeah. And that's how we finish that storyline this week. Mm-hmm. So they've kind of made it pretty obvious, haven't they? I mean, I, I personally don't know what's coming up. But I assume that Kale's right. abused. I mean, I mean, the way that Billy goes to David and says, "I have this friend who was in a kind of in a situation that, like you were in with Josh, only they were he was a kid." Yeah, yeah. That that. Paul's not worried because Kale didn't do the laundry or anything, or right, yeah, didn't settle some bets or whatever. There's right, clearly yeah. something very emotional going and on. For something to happen abruptly and then all of a sudden and change his personality and stuff. Right. Hmm. Oh, that's a tough storyline. Yeah, so what do you think of Kel? He's creepy. It, it kind of works, I think, though, doesn't it? He's creepy. Because he's got everyone on side. I'm not sure how, but he's got everyone on side. He's got everyone fooled. Well, he's got he's got Bernie and Gemma fooled. I don't feel and like anybody else needs. really cares. You know, but... Chasing just wants rid of Bernie. Right, and uh, I don't know. It just, it seems like... It would be so much easier if Paul could just tell his sister and his mum what happened. But like I said, that's that's not an easy thing for anybody to do. No, of course not. Especially a young man and something that happened years and years and years ago that his that his mother and his sister still blame him for. You'd think you'd think that one of them would say, Well, wait a minute. I wonder what did happen. What did happen? Yep. You know, you guys were best mates. What happened? Yeah, nobody asked. Nobody, nobody can. No, they just throw more insults at Paul. But it, even at the time, nobody asked. No. Because what happened was that when the family split up, Gemma went with her mum. And Paul went with his, his, with their dad. Who isn't Kel. Correct. Right. Uh, Kel was a stepdad. 
Oh, what a state of affairs. Absolutely. It's it's an interesting storyline though. It's it's uncomfortable, but it's interesting and it's it's an aspect of the sort of abuse storyline that you don't you don't get to see very often, you know. It's it's nice that it's not yet another young girl getting They tend to talk about abuse being in cycles. Yeah. That kind of worries me a little bit about what the future holds. It doesn't always go in cycles. It doesn't always. No. If it's addressed, if it's if it's addressed, then it won't be, you know. And it seems like it will be addressed that this is coming to a head. Our next storyline tonight is our sickness and health story. It's really hot in here. Yeah. On Monday, she needs this chant to Bernie. No, she's not. Talk to Bernie. She's talking no, to she Bertie. That's, Bertie. So, Bertie I have, and Bernie. I've got these mixed up all week, so look forward to me <laughs> fucking this up more than once. About how she used to get clarinet lessons. And they're also listening to classical music. And Daniel comes oh, in nice. thinking that he's wandered into the wrong house. And Sinead thinks it's important that Bertie learns an instrument. Then Sinead and Daniel are at Dev's. And Sinead's forgotten her purse. And Evelyn says that just because Sinead's on her last legs, it doesn't mean she doesn't have to pay for her stuff. And Sinead laughs and thanks Evelyn for treating her like a normal person. Daniel, on the other hand, looks shocked. Then Evelyn whispers her condolences to Daniel. That was very sweet and I loved it. I liked that. It reminded me of a Richard Herring story. Which one? Uh, I can't remember who the other character was. It wasn't Stuart Lee. I think it was one of the other comedian friends. Let's say it was Daniel Kitson, but it wasn't Daniel Kitson. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Kitson's dad died and came into the flat that they were all sharing together and Richard Herring said, oh, Daniel, I'm thrilled to hear about the death of your father. <laughs> and they all just burst out laughing, which kind of just just diffused the situation. But what a risk. Yeah. You have to be really close friends to pull off something like that. Yeah. So Sinead has had a call from the hospice. They're free to show Sinead round and Daniel's surprised that she's even contemplating this. She has chemo later and she wants to get this done before then. Either come with me or go home, she says. This is Sinead taking charge of her uh, destiny a little bit. Which is good. So Daniel has accompanied Sinead to the hospice after all, which is like, hmm, maybe you shouldn't have. Maybe you should just let Sinead get on with this no, on No, but own. this is good because it makes him realise that it's it's not the thing that he thinks it is. Oh, it does it because, well, well, we'll get to it. In comes a motorbike woman. It's the nurse who's running a little bit late. The nurse is Toti and she takes Sinead off to see the therapy She's rooms. red leathers. While Daniel looks down his nose at everything. Well, he doesn't really look down. He he seems quite shocked that it's as nice as it is and that it's not just lined with people dying in the hallways. See, I didn't think that at all. I thought that he looked shocked that the nurse uh, was in motorcycle leather. Oh, well, I think he found that shocking and stuff. But once he's walking around and, you know, seeing people, you know, sitting and speaking with their families and everything being nice and lovely and... But he hasn't seen any of this so far. Not a horror show. Later, the nurse is in proper attire and meets Daniel while Sinead is having a foot massage. The nurse knows this is a difficult decision and it doesn't all have to fall on Daniel's shoulders. She says that she loves her job, she loves helping families get the most out of the time that they have left, and they chat about Sinead's situation and how, in a lot of ways, they're just getting to know each other. The nurse's name is Sheila. And Sinead comes back and Daniel admits that the place is quite inspiring, actually. Yes. This reminded me of Strathcarn an awful lot, which is where my mum was going to go if she'd 
lasted a little bit longer. She was really looking forward to going there. She absolutely was. <laughs> because and she got, she was, she's not she got, wrong, it was lovely. She got to chatter with old folk and do crosswords and little activities and, and stuff. And have company and She stuff. was really looking forward to it. I think, if anything, the fact that she didn't get to do that, you know, that yeah. she, she didn't get enough time was probably... She, fig- she figured that she had a few more months than she actually had. and Right. And the end kind of happened fairly soon. Yeah. But she was... And I said this to the Strathcarran people when they came to visit. She was really looking forward to spending the last of her days there. Yeah. Funny how that works, isn't it? Absolutely. It was lovely, though. If Oh, what place? If I would ever need to be in hospice, I think I'd want to be at Strathcarran. Yeah, it was a gorgeous place. On the other uh, side of the ocean. Yes. Then back at the flat, Adam is finishing up packing. Sinead is tired but enjoyed the hospice and they've got some talking to do. Adam is sorry but Sinead needs to head off for her chemo. Daniel's doing dishes during all this and he says that he's not ready to let Sinead go. He wants to look after her. Her home is there with him and Bertie. They made vows to this effect a few days ago, he says. So despite the hospice being inspiring and stuff and... No, he's still being a wee bit selfish here and and, and not realistic at all, which we'll find out later. Yeah, in three paragraphs time. Right, yeah, that he's he's not... It's it's a big job. It's a big job, even if it was just the two of them. Right. But to have a wee baby as well, that's... Yikes. At the hospital, Sinead is getting her chemo and Daniel wants to talk about changes they can make to the flat to make it more tranquil for her. Sinead has other things to think about right now. She won't be pressured into this and she tries to send him off to get something to eat. She needs a nap. And Daniel goes off and the nurse explains that this chemo is going to take a lot out of her and maybe she should speak to Lisa about her end-of-life plan. And this set Sinead off. A couple of months late, a couple of months left, and she's still dithering. She says, "How typical of her." They discuss the differences in opinion about hospice. Daniel wants her close, but she doesn't want to die in the same place that Bertie grows up in, and she's just so confused. And that's a good point, I think. You know? End a life plan, though. That's really something that is, you know, ugh. I remember when I went in to have my colon resection you know and in the process in the process of of getting checked in and everything they ask if you have a living will and if if you if you don't if you want information about it do do you want to think about it and that was the first time that i ever that i ever said yes oh that you know that maybe this is something that i need to look into because we didn't know at that point, whether or not they'd gotten all of my cancer, you know? So it was really kind of the first time that I ever really, that I ever really thought about dying sooner rather than later. Hmm. So I, so I can, I can empathize a little bit with, with what the character is, is going through. Right. And I think it is very interesting, you know, her, her not wanting to die where her son will grow up. You know, I think that's very interesting and I think I think she has she has a point because if she dies there then Daniel's going to be reminded visually of her death every single day. Yeah, if we were talking about this kind of thing my aunt a couple of years before I moved over here was uh, she had like weeks to live. Mm-hmm. 
And she was determined that she wanted to die at home. She didn't want to die in any hospital. The, yeah. the, the thought of dying in a hospital being the kind of stereo place that it was just, right. just terrified her. That too. But they lived on a... Well, you know where they lived. They lived yeah. It was a two-story house, but it was from the second story up. Right, yeah. So they had to get a hospital bed up those stairs and then upstairs again and into her bedroom. And that was a totally wee flat. And when... And she was only home for like a matter of days and then she passed away. And, uh-huh. and then they have to take that yeah, hospital bed out. They had to take out it all out, and... but it was, it was my aunt and uncle's bedroom. And I can't imagine that any time he walks into that room he doesn't see that bed. Right. Of course he does. Ugh. Can you imagine? No. It's just... No. It's just awful. Yeah. I mean, I can understand wanting to die around familiar things and familiar people. Right. And not with strangers, you know. But at the same time, I would never want to put you through that. I I plan to go quickly, probably whilst walking the dog or something. (laughs) Well, just, yeah, that, that works for me. Far better than anything that's kind of dragged out and having to think about things like end of life plans. Yeah. My end of life plan is suddenly thinking, oh, I should have gone to the doctor. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that'll be about right. Yeah. <laughs> should have listened to Helen and got to the doctor. Right. Yeah. Did you, did you see what Spike Milligan's gravestone said? No. <laughs> it said, told you I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> Sinead is having her treatment. The man opposite is also terminal and she wonders if he has thoughts about what it'll be like at the very end. Sinead is prepared for pain and lots of drugs. She hopes it won't be uh, here one minute, gone the next. Uh, I think by definition it probably is. And no one tells you how to die, she says. She's had all this all this literature about how to deal with her cancer but no one actually told her how, what she needs to know to die. I thought that Nobody was, knows. I thought that was hugely profound. But what do you need to do to prepare yourself for that? Nobody knows. But you know that you're going to die. Right. So what should I do to to make this as easy as possible? Get your affairs in order. Right. Buy a coffin. <laughs> Preferably not out of the basement of an estate sale. Don't start reading The Stand by Stephen King. <laughs> and no green bananas. The nurse does her best to console her. Then Sinead is home from the hospital chatting with Daniel. She wonders what Bertie dreams about and if he dreams about them, and Daniel is sure that he does. Then a sleepy Sinead falls asleep. And she wakes a little bit later and Daniel tells her to get off to bed. But instead she throws up on the floor and this wakes Bertie up. So with the choice of cleaning up sick or tending to his son, Daniel already looks like this is way too much for him. Yeah, and maybe kind of wishing that Adam would come back. Right. On Wednesday, Daniel is changing Bertie's nappy when Sinead gets up. Daniel's had a bit of a night of it with Bertie and then Sinead rushes off to be sick again, leaving Daniel unsure whether to go to Sinead or look after his crying baby again. And later, Daniel's in Dev's for herbal tea. Dev tells him that his money is no good here. Your Your money is no good here. And Daniel bumps into Bethany and she touches his arm and tells him that she's there for him if he needs to talk. And this is seen by Audrey. It seems to suss out very quickly that there's something going on here. Audrey's sense of there's something going on here is factor five, Captain. <laughs> then Beth is round at the flat looking after Sinead. She's upset with Daniel for palming Bertie off on Peter and Carla, especially when she's having them later. Then Daniel says that that won't be necessary. He's skipping his shift to take care of them. 
This doesn't please Sinead, who says that they're skint, they need the money, and he and Bertie will need a roof over their heads when she's not there. Yeah. She reminds him that he'll be Bertie's mum and dad soon, and this truth seems to give Daniel a bit of a shock. That's even more of a shock, because he's in his house coat, because he's just out of the shower. Right. And his wife's aunt is (laughs) standing there looking at his junk. Well, look at his chest. His junk is covered. Well, let's just say it's out of shot. Later on their own, Beth tells Daniel that she's surprised that this has taken such an effect so quickly on Sinead, and Daniel says it's only going to get worse. Beth despairs at the situation. Sinead has taken chemo to spend time with Bertie, but she's too sick to spend any time with him, so what's the point? And later, Sinead is holding Bertie for all of five seconds when she has to hand him back to Daniel. She's so weak. This chemo and this vomiting has taken too much out of her, and Daniel's already had enough. He can't handle this. It hasn't even been 24 hours. He can't handle it. This isn't a life, he says. The consultant said quality over quantity, so he thinks that she should stop the chemo. Sinead, who I think was against the chemo last week, accuses Daniel of wanting her to die quicker just because he can't cope, and she apologises for the inconvenience. And he storms off and slams the door while she sobs at the table. Ah, just... That was pretty tough. Yeah. Pretty tough stuff. Yeah, but realistic, you know. Because... She's already going to the chemo. She's like, she's like, right. well, I've already started. And she's she's right that he's like, oh, well, I think you should should stop now because because it's so hard. Instead of saying, this is really hard. I think you might be right and should go to hospice. Right. Where they can they can take care of you and Bertie and I can come and visit you. Or go and speak to a doctor about this. Is there, right. is there something that we can take to ease the... Is the sickness, the yeah. Symptoms I mean, stuff. there's there are some great drugs out there now for, you know, the queasy stomach and stuff. Your mum was eating quite well towards the end. Well, eventually, I mean, after our first one, remember we had to take her back the next day, and she was sick in the parking lot. Oh yeah. But then she was, she was better the next day. Right. And the way that she explained it was, she had the chemo. There were three weeks apart. Mm-hmm. The first week she would feel terrible. The second week she would feel better. The third week she would feel fine, and then she's back into the chemo again, and that's right. kind of how it went. So, so your body, kind, bits of your body, kind of build up a tolerance, right? Or is supposed to, right? Later, Sinead tells Daniel to go to work. She's sick of the sight of him. She reminds him that he's the one that wanted her to take the treatment, and he admits that he didn't see her uh, go downhill so quickly. She wonders if he'll change his mind about the hospice as well. All that talk about looking after her at home was bullshit if he's fail- if he's falling to pieces after one day. She thinks that he's the one making the big decisions for her life. She's the one who's dying, and she basically accuses him of wanting her gone sooner rather than later. That was unfair. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think he'd rather she just not be dying at all. Sure. You know, but I can also understand her feelings, you know, and frustrations with him saying, well, this is too hard, so I think you should do this instead. Right. As opposed to listening to your wife and when she says, I would like to go to hospice. Yep. Listen to her. <laughs> right. So Daniel's at work and Bethany thinks that he looks awful and tells him to go home. But Daniel refuses, saying that he needs time away from that. Thanks very much. Yikes. In the flat, Beth's brushing Sinead's hair, which is already starting to fall out. It's the least of Sinead's problems, she says. She doesn't know how long she can go along like this. She asks Beth what she would do in her shoes, but Beth doesn't think there's an easy option. But feeling like this every day isn't living. 
Sinead reveals how lonely it is having cancer and how vile she was to Daniel earlier. She wouldn't blame him for what she wouldn't blame him for walking away. He loves who Sinead used to be, and that person's long gone, she says. That's sad. In the kitchen, Daniel confesses that he needed to get away from the flat and from Sinead and gives himself a hard time for being so selfish. He feels like the worst human being alive. Because he is. <laughs> Bethany tells him that the important thing is that he and Sinead stick together. So Daniel gets home and apologises and Sinead is sorry too. She doesn't want him to look back on their last days as bad times. And Daniel is sorry for letting her down, but he says that she'd be lost without him. She wants quality time with him before she goes and she's made her decision. And this surprised me. She's going ahead with the next round of chemo. She needs to give it one last try to get more time with him and Bertie. But if she's as sick as she was this time, this'll be the last one. It surprised me that she was even going for another one. Yeah. Well, I think I think there's a part of her that does want to fight this as much as she possibly can. And, you know, and there's, there's a part of her that still wants to live. I think that is a very natural reaction. Right. To do whatever it takes to live. Because nobody really wants to die, do they? But even she does want to of... spend time holding her son. Right. And she can't even do that. Right. She could sit on the couch and hold him. Yeah, not according to the writers. That she, she, no. She, can't, because, she has to well, be standing she, in the kitchen. She, she, yeah, they won't even... First juggling. Nobody, nobody says, <laughs> oh, hopping well, on one foot. here, I'll take him. You go sit down and I'll put him on your lap and you can hold him there. Right. Because that would have worked and that would have been fine. But no, they've got doing squat thrusts and... There wouldn't be any, you know, she wouldn't have to be holding all of his weight up yeah so I, th- I think yeah i think where you were going when we started this was that this week with the two of them was it was much better well it was better than the the flat bit right the bit in the flat from last yeah. week which we didn't really get an awful lot out of right yeah this was and again like you said it was just having people to talk to that uh, mm-hmm. daniel's got bethany to talk to and sinead's got beth and that kind of gives a different perspective so they can still have a little bit of clash but then right. rather than being happy or sad or reconciliatory and all that sort of stuff they can just go their separate ways and and talk about it like to third parties and then mm-hmm. come back again and that i think that worked it worked better than it did in the flat last week absolutely okay our next storyline tonight is ali addicted on Monday, at the flat, Robert needs to head out and Ali is out for the count on the couch and Ryan is off for a shower. And when Robert leaves and Ryan's in the shower, suddenly Ali's beady little eyes open and he's very much awake. Oh, his eyes aren't beady. Beady little eyes. Ew. Then later, Ryan Ryan's gets out... the one with beady eyes. I don't think he's got beady eyes. I think he's got lovely eyes. No, Ali has lovely eyes. Later, Ryan gets out of the shower and... What wall? There's no sign of Ali. What? Ryan and Robert find... Ryan runs out into the hallway wearing just a towel. And then runs back in and says, Oops, I need to put some clothes on. You're going to have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. (laughs) Then Ryan... (laughs) It reminded me of, like, one of the few really good scenes in Hobbs and Shaw where where the rock is, um, you know, about ready to fight the bad guys dressed in in traditional... um, Samoan attire holding a spear and you know 
he's he's just wrapped in a wrapped in a skirt sort of thing and his chest is all bare and stuff yeah because ryan is <laughs> like the rock <laughs> <sighs> not even close no i mean he's no he's no rakishi <laughs> but he's certainly no rock no nobody is Ryan and Robert find Ali in the community garden sucking on mints. Mints. Ali says that he just wanted some fresh air and promises that he's got this from now on. He's not looking to score. Later, Toya sees Ali in Roy's roles and thinks that he's looking a bit run down. Have these two ever had a conversation together, do you think? They both work in the same place. Oh, that's true. He says that he's just a bit under the weather and Toya thinks that he looks ready to keel over. Ali's phone rings and he makes his excuses and goes to a quiet corner. And it's Ryan and he has to insist that he's fine. You can already tell he's getting bored with this attention. Yep. On Wednesday, Ryan meets Ali in Roy's roles. Ali reveals that he didn't have the guts to go into work today. Ryan reckons that he should go back to the flat and into counselling, but Ali wants his own flat and he's certainly not going to go to no support group. It's full of junkies and if word got out, he'd lose his job. Ryan reminds him of the fit that he had a couple of days ago and Roy agrees that Ali is looking peaky. Ali is completely sick of the attention. And he's walking down the street later when he drops his keys and this sends him into a fit of desperate rage and he collapses down to his haunches. Toya, who just so happens to be walking behind him, asks if he's okay and Ali says that he's losing his mind. At the bistro, Ali insists to Toya that he's fine and in control and Toya doesn't believe it and asks how it's working out. Ali explains about a trauma that he experienced last year and he says that he's been self-medicating since and he's now addicted. Toya recommends professional help. They can't use it against him as far as the work's concerned. Yeah. And Toya offers her confidential ear whenever he needs it. Yes, because she is a counsellor, let's remember. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Toya, yeah. was, uh, Toya was great. Yeah. yeah. Somebody on the Twitter said, you know, it's it's nice to see her doing this as a mate, just like... It was nice seeing her use her skills as a maid with the whole Carla thing. Right. That it would nice it would be nice to see her in her professional capacity every once in a while, which we never get to see. You know, we see Doctor Gadas, and we at who's work, fabulous, by the way. She is, and we get to see Moira at work, but we never get to see Toya really at work. And no, for never we see actually, Toya at work, she's eating her sandwiches outside. Right. Usually on her own because everyone hates her. Oh, <laughs> which is unfair. And they they also hate her when she's helping them. Remember when Imran was going through the the grief of uh, his sister dying, Rana dying, and yeah, and Toya's trying to help, and he's just casting up her, going through all her bullet points of. The stages of grief and everything. Like right. no, nobody wants to accept or help. So it seems quite nice that Ali's kind of bucked that trend a little bit and seems Carla seemed kind of keen. Carla, I, I think everybody was grateful for her help when it came to the whole Carla thing, because it was once Toya got involved with the whole Carla thing that they were finally able to admit that there was something wrong there and that she needed professional help because nobody wanted to admit that she needed professional help until Toya, the professional, said. I think Carla needs professional help. If only there'd been a sign. Our next storyline tonight is Derek and Izzy. This is a strange one. On Monday, Izzy's in the Rovers selecting Beatles songs when Derek ambles by and they discuss how they both think McCartney was superior to Lennon. They're wrong. (laughs) And how the frog chorus is the pinnacle of human endeavour. Uh, they're wrong. Derek recognises Izzy as one of the knicker people and Izzy figures out that he's a new landlord. 
Then Paul shows up in the Rovers and quizzes Adam on when the factory will be ready to reopen, and Adam directs Paul to Dassardly and Mutley, or Derek and Nick, who are sitting whispering in their booth together. Turns out that they're discussing the contract, and it seems Slippery Nick has snuck in a rent reduction uh, item or clause into the contract that Nick says is only for the first few months before they get back on their feet. Derek wants to run this by Gary, but Nick points out that Derek is a landlord, not Gary. He should be able to just go ahead and sign. So Derek thinks, fuck it, yeah, you're right. So that's what he does. Absolutely, yeah. See, and this is the this is the this is the flaw in Gary's dastardly plan. Is... The flaw or a flaw? <laughs> because because I would say that Derek's pretty much a flaw from start <laughs> to finish. Because as far as everybody else is concerned. That's right. Derek's the boss. And people keep saying to Derek that Derek's the boss. And because Derek is as thick as shit, (laughs) he's beginning to believe that he really is the boss. Yeah, we'll get to this. Derek and Izzy are fair enjoying each other's company with Sean sitting uh, between them like a gooseberry. And they continue to flirt. And Izzy tells him about Jake and it comes out that Gary's Jake's dad. Although... That relationship is ancient history, and not all. And Gary's not all that supportive. Is he keen to know how Derek knows Gary? <clears throat> but then she gets a text ushering her back to work. It's going to have to keep. Then Izzy turns up back at the pub later for her phone and bumps into Derek again, who's still there, and he's absolutely rat arsed and asks for her for a drink. But she needs to collect Jake, and she thinks that Derek should be thinking about going home. So she leads him to the streetcars, and Derek apologises for for his condition and promises he'll be better next time that they meet and announces that he fancies her, but then he changes his mind. Gary's going to kill him, he says, and then he jumps into a cab. (coughs) (laughs) On a Wednesday at the factory slash community centre, Derek turns up looking for a word with Izzy. He apologises again about yesterday, and she's curious as to what he was saying yesterday about being scared of Gary. They arrange to meet up later so he can explain. Next time we see Derek, he's in the rovers knocking him back again, and he gets a call from Gary, which he chooses to dinghy. Mm -hmm. So Izzy and Derek meet up and... Uh, Roy's rolls for coffee. Derek admits that he's got a bit of a drinking problem, which doesn't strike Izzy as being news. Derek has lost everything for all this, which surprises Izzy as Derek is investing in the factory, as must be kind of successful, and Gary believes in them. Izzy will be happy to help, and Derek is so chuffed he asks Izzy out on a date, and the expression seems to fall from her face when he says this. Right. But I don't think that amounts to anything, because on Friday that's. She seems to be far more into him than she seemed on. I think she was. I think she was just surprised. Really, because he's made it clear that he fancies her. Yeah, but he's weird. Oh, he's weird. And he's really tall. <laughs> on Friday, Gary's back from Bristol. He's been meeting up with uh, Nicola and the other kid. Yeah, the wee baby, who's probably not wee anymore. Yeah. Nick grabs him immediately and confirms that he signed the contracts with Derek, which is news to Gary, and he already looks pissed off. In Roy's rolls, Gary's on the phone to Derek, who's ignoring his calls, so he gets Nick to come in to give him details of the progress of the work. It's all going well, he says, and Derek's already agreed to give them 25% off their rent for the first few months, and Gary is fucking furious about this. Although, not that Nick would notice. And I don't really understand why he would be furious about this when the whole point is to is to help the factory get back on its feet so that he can assuage his guilt and also maybe get back in the good graces of Sarah and 
in Gary's mind, perhaps Sarah will kick Adam to the curb at that point and, and get back with him, which will never happen. I think it's a power thing that he's lost power to this Derek the Alky. Yeah, maybe. So Derek saunters over to see Izzy, who's talking to Paul about her days on the medical marijuana, which surprises everyone who's with a near shot. He gets another call from Gary and dings it yet again. Derek and Izzy arrange to meet after work. And on the street, Izzy and Derek are flirting about the strength of curries when Gary drives by in the van with Jake, I assume, in the passenger seat. Gary, again, is not best pleased. At speed dial, Derek and Izzy are tainting... <laughs> I have written tainting. At speed dial, Derek and Izzy are taunting each other with a chilli, and in comes Gary, wondering why Derek has been so hard to get a hold of. Izzy and Jake go off to get a drink, and Gary wants to know what Derek is doing with the mother of his kid. Derek says he tried to back off, but they both like each other. Gary tells him to GTF and then they talk about the contract which Derek felt was normal and Nick was getting suspicious at the time so he had to make a decision and that seems fair enough. Hmm. And later Izzy thinks that Derek is worried about Gary because if Gary said out she'll have a word with him. Gary just plays the big man she says and Derek seems to misunderstand this. Izzy thinks Derek is a boss. Gary needs Derek more than the other way around and this gives Derek plenty to think about. So, so once again somebody who used to be with Gary... Is going to get <laughs> someone the person that killed. they're with now killed by Gary. <laughs> right. Because let's remember Alia <laughs> telling Ryan essentially the same thing. Well, Ryan's a, not dead yet. A couple, of weeks. not yet, but that's only because Gary gets to. Uh, Gary's unfortunately had to confront him in the daytime. Pretty soon, Gary's going to put Ryan and Derek both through a wall. It just depends upon which one comes first. Gary sees Ryan and demands his money back. And Ryan, <laughs> he just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> but he stalls long enough for Jake to tell Gary that he wants to go home. So Gary's got to take care of it. So Ryan can just wander about and go on with his business, thinking no great shakes there. And then later at the furniture place, Gary's accepting a payment from a tardy customer when Derek comes in. And once again, Gary warns Derek away from Izzy. But Derek is like, or fucking what? He tells Gary that without him, his little scam is going to fall on its arse. And it's like Izzy said, Gary needs Derek more than Derek needs Gary. And with a smirk, he calls Gary a gangster and strolls out, leaving Gary to punch a mirror and then breathe on it. <laughs> well, yeah, because he's so close to it now that his fist is stuck in the mirror and he can't get his fist back out. He's like, ah! Right. What's it like? Ah! That's what I thought you said. <laughs> So who's first for the killing? Uh, Derek, probably, because he's more expendable. Yeah, Ryan's but not going anywhere, I don't think. I think Ryan's going to get hurt. Yeah, quite possibly. And I don't. I think Gary's going to hire somebody to hurt him. Ooh, you know what would be cool? If Gary hired Sharon back and Sharon got to beat Ryan up. Oh. I'd love that. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be interesting to watch. <laughs> do you think Ryan is very good at fighting? But what they do is they have a fake charity wrestling match. <laughs> and that's that's where it happens. So Sharon's throwing <coughs> Ryan Cheers. into the turnbuckle and jumping up onto the top rope and launching herself at Ryan. And yes, then somebody comes running down the ramp. Who is it that comes running down the ramp? Derek. Yeah, Derek, and he dives under the, the <laughs> ring and he pulls out a chair and he, oh, a chair right to the head. And 
To Sharon. Yep. Yeah. And then Vince McMahon appears and <laughs> I don't know. And everybody calls him a racist. Or a sexist. Or something. Oh, and he's a terrible, terrible boss. He's a terrible. Ex- exploits the talent that's on the WWE. Terrible boss. Can I boss. say that without getting sued? Yeah, because I think it's true. Okay. And plus, fuck it, he's never listening to this. <laughs> no. And his wife once ran for public office in Connecticut. She yeah, ran for governor once. I we think. drive by the WWE when we go every home, time yeah. we go back to Connecticut. Since is it Stanford? Yeah. Right in the right next to I ninety five. Right, and then we pass the Royal Bank of Scotland. Yeah, there's an RBS on the other side of the street. It's a really strange stretch of road. I think we pass by ESPN too, don't we? I don't remember that. I thought ESPN was there as well. So anyway, back anyway. to the wrestling. They put the contract in the middle of the ring and it's a it's a table, ladders and chairs match. The TLC. <laughs> so they have to get... They have to get a big... And now Ed, this is where Ed comes in because he's got the, the, the tables because he's the he's the builder. But the, the, the belt's just out of reach. Well, the contract, rather, is just out of reach. Just out of reach. So... So they have to they have to pull Tall Matt in. But but that's so when Tall Matt comes and reaches reaches stretches his arms as high as it can go and then Chesney takes one leg of Tall Matt and Gemma takes the other leg and they hoist him up. Uh, no, the, it it it's straight arms in between the legs. <laughs> and this is when and just then Gemma goes into labor and <laughs> the quads right there. Just as at the top of the ramp. Norris is back. What? Where the fuck did Norris come from? Scotland. And he comes running down the ring. But he has to stop a couple of times because he's out of breath. And then he needs a little help up. And, and then his wife is behind him. Come back, come back. And then there's the... Mary's dressed up as oh, a Mexican wrestler. With a... Oh, yeah, she's got She's the, got a mask on, definitely. Yeah, she's got the logo mask. Right. And she does a... She does an F one fifty round the <laughs> round the ropes and nearly takes Norris's head off and Jim Lawler goes he, She just took his head clean off says Fat Albert again. That wasn't even remotely like Fat Albert. <sighs> Where did this come from? Yeah, I thought our tangent of the week was gonna be midsummer murders. Our next storyline tonight Janiversary <laughs> On Wednesday It's Jenny's and Johnny's anniversary And Jenny wants to buy her man a bunch of flowers From Dave who presents her with a bouquet that has In Jenny's opinion Seen better days And when we get a screenshot of it it really has Yep. Along comes Mary who says If you're seeing it with flowers along comes Mary. If you're seeing it with flowers This would more be a cry for help right. And Jenny goes off without making a purchase Dave thinks Mary Dev thinks Tracy sent Mary over to disparage the flowers, which Mary gleefully denies. And then walks off. And that's that. Yeah, she walks off and says, you know, I don't need Tracy to slag off your flowers. Yep, fuck you, Dev. Yeah. Cheerio. You kicked me out. Fuck you. (laughs) Our penultimate storyline tonight is a few scenes of Mad Max on Friday at Roy's Rolls. Shona gets a call from the school. It looks like Max has gone AWOL. Then much later, Max comes home pretending that he's been at school and when Shona confronts him, he meanders up the stairs while Shona pretends there was nothing she could do to stop him. 
later outside Roy checks on Shona and he asks if he can be of any assistance. It wouldn't be an imposition, he says. Don't hesitate to ask. And Shona says it's nothing she can't handle and she kisses Roy on the cheek and he looks like he's worried that he's going to melt. Oh, that was very sweet. And that's as far as that goes. Roy has had experience with difficult children. Vis-a-vis. Fosters. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever his name was that we liked. Oh, and that never did come back, did he? What was his name? (laughs) Wayne. 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 Bring back Wayne. Come on, Wayne. Hashtag come back, Wayne. Come back, Wayne. So this is just reminding us that Max has gone off the rails. I think I'm right. You think he's selling drugs? Yeah. Hmm. I think he's selling his Ritalin. Our final storyline this evening. Never do that again. It's a drum roll. It's Aggie's party, y'all. Wood, wood. On Monday, Roy rolls. Keep busy. It's your birthday. We're going to party like it's your it's birthday. At Roy rolls, Aggie's trying out smashed avocado and poached egg on toast. Ed pretends that it's delightful, but somehow Aggie has fucked it up. I'm getting kind of tired with this whole Aggie can't cook thing. Yeah, yeah, and it becomes even more unbearable later. Yeah, this needs to stop. It really does. Please stop this. Stop. Aggie's trying to make friendly conversation because because that looked delicious. It's eggs and it's avocado. You can't get that I'm wrong. Toast. Yeah, you really can't get that wrong. Aggie's trying to make friendly conversation with Evelyn, who reacts badly to Aggie's questioning. How long have you been working for MI5? Evelyn asks. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Then Roy encourages her that not everyone is like Evelyn and he suggests that the Baileys throw a housewarming party but uh, I won't be going. <laughs> then Aggie comes home on a break and to tell the house and the Baileys about the housewarming. Ed says he doesn't have time for this and leaves but Aggie's confident Ed will come round. So Aggie's back at Roy's Rolls telling Cathy and Toy about the housewarming that she intends to have a tomorrow. She promises plenty of food it's and drink. Quick. Yeah. Ed comes in and thinks Aggie has got ahead of herself. The house isn't ready, but once it is, Cathy and Toya will be the first on the list. Top reviews for Amdram Showcase is the front page news on Ed's paper. Nice. There'll be another random fact of the week. Was Next that a week. random fact? Or I haven't done just, that in ages. Or is that just something that you observed? Something I observed. Yes. Aggie's <laughs> pissed. There'll be another thing that I observed. Next week. I think the the fact that the WWE is in Stamford, Connecticut was more of a random fact than anything else. One way or the other, there may or may not be a random fact of the week next week. Right. Aggie's pissed that Ed was against the party. They should swallow their pride, whatever that means. And Aggie appears, though, to back down. Ed is so discombobulated, he has to go for a bath. And it turns out that Aggie was careful to agree that they wouldn't have a housewarming party. But no one said anything about a surprise birthday party for Ed. What? On Friday. Michael thinks this is a bad idea, but Aggie insists that Dee Dee is visiting from, from Belgium, especially for the party that they've just agreed upon. James is keen for this, Michael less so, and then Aggie announces that the boys will have to bunk together so Dee Dee can get a room. Whoever Dee Dee is. It's their sister. But we don't know that. Don't so we? You, no. I thought, I, thought we, I thought that we knew that already, that they have... I don't officially know, I don't think so. Because... Because they've said that they have a daughter as well. Have they? I don't think they've said that. Yeah. Have they? Oh, well, maybe. If they haven't, then I'm sorry for spoiling that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry that you spoiled it, rather. Oh, fine. Be that way. On Wednesday, 
Aggie's planning the party and making canopies. Parties need canopies, she says. She tells the boys to keep Ed in the dark and Michael asks if they can bring women to the party. Aggie wants them to get the sound system from their aunt or something. Then down comes Ed wanting to know what this is all about and the boys talk about taking him out for a birthday tea. So, walking down the street, Bethany's lid is not on her cup properly and she pours it down herself when she tries to take a swig of it. And this attracts the attention of James, who asks what's up. She explains about Daniel and Sinead and how they're so brave and James, who has read Bethany's article, thinks that she's pretty brave too. Bethany looks like she's suddenly forgotten all about her infatuation with Daniel. This James one is a bit better looking. She's not wrong. No. Then Audrey pops round to see Bethany. It's so upsetting about Sinead, she says. Uh, but at least they have uh, family. And Daniel is like a character from a Jane Austen novel, says Audrey. Just like Ken was. <laughs> what character? Which character? Because... Mr. Bennett. There are lots of characters in a Jane Austen novel, and not all of them are good men. Ken ain't no Darcy. Not that he was I, a good man. Well, Darcy comes around. I liked uh, um, uh, the character that, what's his name, played in Pride and Prejudice. Not Colin Firth, the other guy. The one who was Professor Snape. Who is dead now? Who played Professor Snape? Who was also in Die Hard? <laughs> Alan Rickman. What was his character's name in Pride and Prejudice? You're not helping me out at all. I'm not trying to help you. It's Colonel Colonel something. Colonel Bradley, maybe? Colonel Saunders. Saunders, not Sanders, because that's the chicken guy. <laughs> I've tried very hard to be funny and it's just not working. No, so I'm going to cut <laughs> all of us out. No, you're not, because it's funny. You're not being funny, it's funny? Yes. We'll say you. Oh. oh, well. And then Audrey confronts Bethany with what she suspects is her feelings for Daniel, and she didn't bother denying it, and this leaves Bethany flustered. She insists that they're just friends, and Audrey says that he's going to be uh, a widower soon with a kid. Just keep your distance. Bethany thinks Audrey's been ridiculous, but Audrey refuses to back down. Go out and get your hole, she tells Bethany. And the Bailey She's boys and the Bailey boys are at the bistro. Ed sings James's praises in front of Bethany, who's serving them, which embarrasses James. Ed doesn't understand, and James seems to suggest that he's already asked Bethany out. Just don't mention it to her. It's embarrassing. Then Aggie rushes into Roy's rolls to check on the status of Ed's cake. It's all in hand, says Roy. Sean says that he can't make it, oh, what a loss that's going to be, and neither can Roy. Because he's got a date. And Mary will be there with knobs on, and she'll even drag Roy along with her. Ed can't help himself though, and he makes smoochy faces at Bethany and waves. Michael offers his assistance in the women department, and this is exactly why James doesn't tell him shit. And under the pretext of sharing a video of a penguin falling over, James gets Bethany's number, and they arrange to meet up for a drink later on tonight. Faye, who's working her first shift at the bistro, thinks this is unbelievable. Right, because uh, when Faye first came in, Faye said to Bethany, do you think it would be all right if I asked him if I could get a selfie? And Bethany said that that would be inappropriate. So that's why Faye's like, oh, that's unbelievable. It's inappropriate for me to ask him for a selfie, but you can flirt with him and get his number. It's your first day, Faye. When you're necking. Right, and Faye calls him well fit. Bethany turns up late to meet James. 
in the Rovers. And Audrey advises James to take care of her precious Bethany. And he, she doesn't seem to be buying this this sudden turnaround in Bethany's affections. And in the booth, Bethany invites herself along to Ed's party tomorrow, after all. Then we get to Friday, and Mary grabs Michael outside the cabin. She wonders what to get Ed for his birthday. She was going to get him a reggae CD, but worries that she's stereotyping him because he's middle-aged and Caribbean. Michael pretends to stereotype Mary as an Elaine Page and Michael Bublé fan, which is exactly what she turns out to be. Right, that was funny. Michael pretends that Ed is into boy bands, but when Mary believes him, he confirms, no, yeah. He's Ed, into reggae. Ed likes reggae. Yeah, and reggae. Yeah. Then it is Ed's birthday. Huzzah! His birthday card from Maggie doubles as a honey duelist, and Ed wonders when Dee Dee is getting there. But her plane is yet to land. Hopefully she'll get there in time for his birthday tea. Yes, and they refer to her, the boys at least do, as Princess Diana. Not yet, we'll get to that. Too soon. You're too soon, yes. Hopefully she'll get there in time for his birthday tea. Ed leaves and Aggie reminds the boys that Ed only cares about music, food and drink and she sends them to make sure that there's plenty of all three. Oh, and they'll have to pick up D from the airport as well. At home, Daniel is baking or just making a mess of the kitchen and Ken's got Bertie. He's making croissants, but they've come out looking like burnt pieces of shit. He's only doing this because Sinead apparently said that she'd never had homemade and he goes into a strop with himself. Sinead tells him to go to that party tonight and get out from under her feet. So, uh, the Bailey boys come back into their house with a mahoosive speaker system and load it into the front room. Ken and Claudia drop by to explain that they won't make it to the party as they're off to Venice tomorrow, but they'll leave a cheeky wee bottle of vino. Isn't Ken supposed to be watching Bertie at that moment? (laughs) It's so difficult to follow. And I can't believe they're still going to Venice and taking all of the family except for Daniel and Sinead, because obviously Daniel and Sinead are not going to Venice. Correct. Next in. Why would they still? Why wouldn't they have cancelled this trip? Sinead's dying. Then they can go to Venice later. Well, they're pushing it a little bit as well, aren't they? Not nearly as fast as Sinead is. Don't they? Don't they think that maybe this would be the perfect thing to get Daniel's mind off of the fact that his young wife has died? What, to do- wait until after she's dead and then take Daniel with them, with the whole family. And that would be better. Yeah. Next in is Mary, who's turned up to help. She has a binder with her plans and everything. And Aggie's put out, but does a decent job concealing it. Everything is under control, she says. And Mary is shocked, shocked at what they've done with the house. Mm-hmm. Aggie's all done up as Kathy and Dev turn up, as does Bethany. Aggie ushers them all quickly into the house before Ed, who's across the street loading his van, catches on. Michael is hanging around near Ed's van and because he doesn't know that Aggie has plans for Michael, Ed ropes him into helping at the factory until Dee Dee arrives. On his way to the party, Daniel has bought himself a bottle of vodka from Dev's and he takes a quick swig of it on the street. Classy. Back at Aggie's, the place is jumping when Steve and Eileen turn up. Steve has had a haircut. Just like me. No. No. We've both had haircuts this week, is what I'm saying. My hair does not look like Steve. Steve shouldn't get a haircut. Although this haircut it is does, better than it, it does suit him. Than it tends to be, yeah. Yeah, it does suit him. They wonder where Ed's got to. very messy. Aggie's passing out canopies that make Dev choke. He thinks that they're made of putty. Yeah. Stop. Great, great stuff. This Just needs stop. to fucking end. Then Aggie gets a text from Dee Dee. She won't be able to make it because of work. 
which seems very much last minute. Right, yeah, that was weird. Mary realises that they're running 17 minutes behind schedule. Typical of Princess Di, says James, and Mary observes that, yes, we all miss the Queen of Hearts. (laughs) Mary tells him to turn off the tunes in three minutes exactly, top up everyone's glasses, she'll be back, and then she rushes off. So you don't want Mary involved in the organisation of this party, but you fucking need Mary to be involved in the organisation of this party. Yes. Michael encourages Ed to go home for the birthday dinner, but Ed is in no hurry to get home because of Aggie's cooking. Oh, so funny. This is getting better and better every time we mention it. And taps into a secret stash of wagon wheels that he's got. Mary appears out of breath and tells Ed that she thinks Aggie has had a heart attack. No, she doesn't think. She's like, come quick, Aggie is having a heart attack. <laughs> that's a, that's <laughs> the only way we could get Ed back to his house. It, it works. <laughs> At the party, Steve is concerned about Emma chatting to some of the Weddy County players, so Eileen pushes him over to talk to his daughter. Emma likes his hair. But rather than speak with Emma, he starts talking to the players and gets Emma to take photographs of them. <laughs> Which was hilarious. <laughs> what an asshole, really. It's like, oh, Tim's going to be so jelly. Why isn't Tim at this party? <laughs> Aggie urges everyone into the kitchen uh, to hide just as a flustered Ed comes in and wants to know what the hell is going on with his heart attack wife. And everyone is like, happy birthday! Surprise! Mission accomplished, says Bethany to James, neither of whom had anything to do with it. <laughs> then Daniel's in the community garden, he's necking from the body bottle just as Jenny shows up wanting to know what he's doing sitting on his own. He says, well, I'm sitting on my own. Jenny tells him about the party, but he's not into it. Bollocks to that, says Jenny, and she drags him off, leaving the bottle in the community garden. I thought something was going to come of that. Was the bottle empty? I can't yeah, tell. Yeah, it was empty. Was it? He'd, yeah, he'd finished the last the last drop and set it down it's the only reason why he set it down is because it was empty i think it was just they linger on it a little bit because it's so very sad daniel's descent into despair and, right. and alcoholism because you know well it's not an alcoholic he's just not yet he's, he's not yet ed can't hide his disappointment that dd won't be able to make his party because of work but suddenly he becomes very protective of her when other people touch their disapproval of her always being busy then Daniel walks into the party with Jenny. Steve sees this and says he didn't think he'd be out partying if Tracy was about to kick the bucket. And Eileen says, no, but everyone else would. <laughs> That's funny. Tracy isn't at the party because she doesn't like to see other people enjoy themselves. That's also funny. Kathy thinks it's great to see uh, Daniel out, as does Aggie, and Mary gives him some random alcohol. Rum punch. Bethany asks if he's okay, and Daniel says he's fine, notwithstanding the fact that he has a terminally ill wife. And James asks Daniel if he wants any food. Dave asks if Daniel hasn't suffered enough. Oh, just zing. Just yet another zinger about Aggie's cooking. And yet Dev keeps eating those canapes. <laughs> Which was very odd. Yeah. Bethany worries that Daniel has had too much to drink. Daniel tells her to mind her own business. What the fuck does Bethany know about anything? Little girl. She oh, leaves. that was so creepy. And Daniel pours himself some more punch. In the backyard, James is with Bethany and he's upset about what Daniel had said to her. She throws it off as his grief, and then she goes in to kiss James, and, and James instantly pulls back like she has a little bit of shit on her top lip. She worries that he thinks that she's damaged, damaged goods after reading her article, but he says that that's not it. He's gay. Yep. Sure. When the Baileys were introduced, you know, when Corey on the Twitter... And on the website, introduced the Billies as a new family. They hinted at this. Is this another 
if you've been affected by things that have happened in this week's Coronation Street, call this number, kind of storyline. If if you've been affected by being gay and black and a footballer, right? Yeah, but we haven't. He hasn't talked about this yet. But I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I think there's probably going to be something come out of it. Right? And I I think well we haven't gotten to why he's closeted. Okay, let's we'll, we'll yeah, keep let's, going. Then. Let's get to that and then we'll talk about it. Now Jenny and Michael are worried that Daniel's had too much to drink and infuriated. Daniel goes to punch Michael, who easily steps aside. And Daniel ends up crashing into the decks, causing a public domain needle scratch noise to happen before slumping on his arse on the floor, looking like maybe he's thinking, yeah, I probably have had a little bit too much to drink. So Michael offers him a hand up, but Daniel uh, knocks it back, and Michael helps him up anyway, and he's led outside by Cathy and Mary for fresh air. Fresh air is the last thing a drunk person needs. Yeah, that just makes you puke. <laughs> just makes you so much worse. Get the music back on, says Aggie. Then Bethany storms through the house, followed by James. Ed wonders if it's a lover's tiff already, and Aggie says, Look, can someone get that fucking music back on, please? Roy has arrived with some decent sandwiches and a cake, but he tells Aggie that he can't stay, mostly because he doesn't want to stay. <laughs> but also because Shona needs to go and find Max. Right. On our way out. James begs Bethany not to say anything to anyone, but she just leaves, and then Michael is at his back, wondering what's been going on. James isn't interested in talking about it. And back at the flat, Sinead and Beth are planning the purge. No, oh, no they're they have, not. They're sorry, they have, they've got face masks on. <laughs> Beth is doing Sinead's nails with products that Shane, that Shane, Sean picked up from his latest date. Cock-a-doodle-dandy. What kind of name is that? Then Sinead has a coughing fit, and all the fun goes out of the scene. Sinead asks Beth if she'd make sure that Sinead is dressed up nice when she's buried. Proper hair and makeup, but no shoes. She hated heels. She once done she once buried in her bare feet. And Beth does a quite remarkable job here when she breaks down when After Sinead, Sinead goes off to see Bertie. Yeah, that was just Oh That that just... element of the bare feet just was oh. so perfect. Because it's a, a minutiae little detail that right. nobody thinks about, but I guess if you're in that situation, you do think about it, and it's right. like, so what does it matter, you know? But this is, it, matters it, matters, it matters hugely. Right. And and the way she she's like, you know, Auntie Beth, I want to ask you for something, and you're the only person I can ask. And then she's like, when I'm gone, and, and Beth kind of just at first is like no we don't want to talk about this and, and Sinead's like no we really have to talk about this these are things we really need to talk about and you're the one I want to take have to take care of this sort of thing ah just the whole and then just the way Beth puts on such a brave face until Sinead leaves and then just melts right you can tell that she's upset and it's affecting her as the conversation goes on but she does manage to hold it together just until oh. uh, until Sinead leaves. Oh. Since we started doing this, Beth's never been better. No, she Beth really has hasn't. never been better she in the really last hasn't. year and a they half have, or whatever. They have really given her some good, meaty stuff to get into. And holy shit, she's good at it. Yeah, she's really good at it. It just, it kind of infuriates me now how much of the Beth storyline has been these jokes about her and and Kirk's sex life right and her being 
an ass to people. Kind of horrible, yeah. And There's so much more here than that. And listening to 80s music. <laughs> At the party, Steve is dancing like a... I'm not sure what he's dancing like. Like a dad. Okay, one of the Weather County players doesn't know how Emma would know this plank, but Emma says that that's her dad. And this is the first Aww. time that she's uh, said, said it. That. And this pleases Steve greatly. Then Adam arrives, and with the help of... I've written with the help of cats. Kathy. Oh, Kathy. A whole bunch of cats in Kathy's clothes. Like a statue. Look, cats, like, on top of one another, forming in the form of Kathy. With a long jacket on, like Scooby-Doo. Long red hair. They managed to lead Daniel... Lipstick on the top cat. Out of the Baileys and take him back home. James turns... James turns up to see Bethany at the flat. She's in her sweats and isn't keen to hear James's excuses. Pride is pride, not shame, she says. She feels sorry for him and explains about the club and the fans. He talks about the racism that he hears on the terraces. Add gay to black and they'd kill his career. Plus he has no idea what Ed would think. He apologises for using her and then he leaves. Now the bus shelter Daniel has sobered up super quick. No, he muses that Bertie's not going to have a mum and Adam says, well, I don't have a mum and I worked out okay. And Daniel eh. blames himself and breaks down. And Adam, Did you, Adam? And Adam? Did you really? does his best to comfort him. Did you turn out okay? Are you a, a piss-poor lawyer who's, who's a womanizing jackass? At the party, it's cake time and Aggie grabs a massive knife. <laughs> I thought at that point anything could happen here. <laughs> Michael is lighting the candles while James holds the cake and James says that Bethany was jealous of him talking to Emma and Michael looks at him like, yeah right. Then Mary is playing Happy Birthday on the piano, which is okay to do now. The copyright has run out right? and they don't have to do for He's a Jolly Good Fellow anymore. Everyone joins in, maybe six times the number of people who said cheerio to Kate last week. <laughs> Ed thanks his new neighbours for the welcome. Bethany has got dressed back up again and turns up at the party to apologise to James and they agree to be mates. And back home, Sinead is asleep on the couch when Daniel gets back and Beth knows what happened because apparently Adam texted her, if you can believe that. Beth, I do. Beth gives Daniel a big hug. And then, back at the party, Bethany offers to pretend to be James's girlfriend for the next while to cover the fact that he's gay. And they agree to this little plan. Bethany doesn't have anything else romantic going on, so she's got nothing to lose. And Michael is just round the corner and he hears this and he looks troubled. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yes, because, you know, Bethany says, I'm willing if you are, even though I usually go for taller and more muscly. And James says, yeah, so, so do, do I. I. <laughs> and they both have a laugh at this, so. But Michael looked like he'd already suspected that something like this was afoot. I thought. I thought Aggie had. You thought um, Aggie knows. That she knows. Because mothers always know. I Ed think. definitely doesn't. No. And he's worried about Ed, Ed's reaction. I don't th- think Ed would mind at all, do you? I, I honestly don't think so. He's of a certain age, though. Or is he? He's of a certain age. He's in his 50s. Yeah. You never know. At what age do people get racist or homophobic? It depends upon the person. Because there are old people who are not racist or homophobic. Correct. Of course, most of those people are also gay or, and, and there, or there black. Are, there are young people who are. Both of those things. Both of those things, yeah. Yeah, but they typically grow up in a household that is both of those things. Right. Yeah. I, I'm i glad the, this particular cat is out of the bag. Right. You know, now James can be my favorite gay. Sorry, Paul. Oh. 
Just when we get him to follow us on Twitter. I'm kidding. Peter Ash will always know that he's, my, he's my favorite guy. On Coronation uh, Street. The whole party lasting pretty much the whole of Friday. It did bring a lot of things together. And it allowed a lot of different storylines to kind of tie in and fit into it. Which, which is and, pretty much what I'm saying, yeah. That, yeah, and I think they did a really good job with that. I'm trying to figure out if it annoyed me in any way. I don't think it, it did. Didn't. I don't think it did. It wasn't annoying at all. It, it, it worked really well because, because Daniel coming to the party gave us the opportunity to have Sinead and Beth having like a girly night where they're doing one another's nails and they're doing facials and stuff. And planning the typical, purge. P- typical girl stuff, you know, and having, and, which seems like really normal and then she has the coughing fit. I'm just, I'm really grateful that it was just a coughing fit and that she didn't then go and run and, and throw up again. I, I like that they're, they're mixing up well, some he, of this stuff. Well, here's what I was thankful for. When the first when the scene first came up with them sitting like that, I immediately took a screen grab and put a purge related tweet on Twitter and then I clicked play again and then she started to cough and I thought, Oh shit, no, don't don't have blood coming out of your mouth because that just makes me seem like the most insensitive prick in the world by putting this tweet out there. I didn't and see th- the purge tweet. And thankfully it didn't happen, but for a moment I was like, Dad, I need to delete this. I might I might need to delete this. <laughs> I like the fact that uh, both Evelyn and Steve had little moments of gallows kind of humour mm-hmm. sort of thing where, yeah, you know, Evelyn's like, just because you're on your last legs doesn't mean to say you don't have to settle your bill. Right. And Steve's like, well, I don't know if I'd be going out if Tracy was about to kick the bucket. Just using- and, and everybody else saying, you know. You, know, you wouldn't be, but but we would. Ha right. ha! Right, I think it just lightened, and that was what why the party worked was there was light moods and there was dark moods, and and it allowed it and it allowed some other things to resolve as well because Eileen and Jenny are sitting there when Mary dances by, and Jenny said, "How how is it living with that one?" And Eileen said, "About about what it looks like, and and it, which gave Roy an opportunity to be lovely and say that you know." Everybody needs a little Mary in their lives. Yeah, that was, that was, was delightful. D- absolutely delightful, which gives Eileen pause and makes Eileen think, which yeah. was nice. Yeah, maybe I do need something like this to go on in my life. Yeah. Right, yeah. Your moment of the week? Beth and Sinead planning the purge. Be, it's got to be Beth and Sinead planning the purge. <laughs> oh, it's just such a good scene. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. And the boring of the moment of the week. Dev's flowers. That was quite funny, though, wasn't it? It was funny, but it was pointless. Um, what else? Some of the Derek and Izzy stuff was kind of boring. Oh, the the curry talk. I like oh. my curries strong and brown or whatever, and just like my man. Whatever. Oh. <laughs> You're right, though. He's far too tall. He's way too tall. <laughs> oh, what else could that possibly have been? It was a good week. It was a good week. I Oh, oh, oh. Um huh? um Claudia and Ken telling Aggie that they can't come to the party cuz they're going to Venice tomorrow. Fair enough, that'll do. That's that a, pretty boring. That's a boring moment of the week. 
Boring moment of the week. I've enjoyed that tonight. That was good. Yeah, me too. Ten after ten. Shall we wrap this up? Oh, please. Oh, I haven't written wrap-up notes. So if you want to get in contact with us and set something amusing here, here's how you can do so. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com on email and on Skype if you want to leave a voicemail and PayPal if you want to leave a couple of bucks in our virtual tip jar. We're at Cory Podcast on the Twitter, the Facebook and the Insta and we have a long, long, long forgotten blog on the talk of the street podcast.wordpress.com. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode. We will be back next week and next week with more Talk of the Street. Cheerio. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.